got a question to kick things off. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 5. We've already finished that. So here's the, here's the question. How many of you, we're going to kind of split the room here. The mic is a little bit too loud. I'm going to move this too. This is distracting me. How many of you are the kind of person that, if it's broke, throw it away and buy a new one? Which of you match that personality? It's okay. It's okay. We're not judging. Too hard. So, all right. How many of you are the, it's not broke, it just needs to be fixed, right? Okay. I'm sorry for you wives, because it's probably your husband that feels that way. How many of you are, if it's broke, I'll give it one more chance. I'll, 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 I'll Google it. I'll do something. You kind of are a one chance. You're not going to waste your life on it like me. Yeah. All right. How about with people and relationships? We're not going to raise hands on this one. All right? Because unfortunately, we're going to go through some things in 1 Corinthians 5 that I will tell you for the past three days has had me very emotional. Because I realize that the church in general, especially in America and even all over the world, has actually stopped halfway through the chapter and abandoned what our original call was in the first place. So when, when I say the things that I'm saying this morning, I'm saying them from conviction, not necessarily because God said, you're deep in sin, Joe, but it's conviction from the stance of, don't forget, Joe. Don't forget. Because I've been there. I, I, I've been in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5. I was verses 1 through 8 forgetting verses 9 through 13. And there was a trail of people that, in my own passion, said, if that's what God is, I don't want it. So I want to challenge us all this morning. As we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning. And the title for this morning is, Don't Hide from the Dirt, Clean It. Don't Hide from the Dirt, Clean It. And it's continuing in, in our series in 1 Corinthians, and... Remember, Paul's got a couple of themes that are very, very strong throughout this whole book. Number one, he says a phrase in here, more than any other book he wrote, called puffed up. And it's not just a general pride. It's almost space-increasing arrogance, puffed up. You guys have said this to your teenage sons before. You might want to open both doors to get out because your head won't fit. Right? It, it, we get that. That same phrase, that same sentence comes from the concept in Greek of being puffed up. And so when he's talking to the Corinthians, he's, he's not saying, you guys got a little pride problem. He goes, you guys are so amazing, you can't even fit through the door at church. You're so amazing to yourself. In fact, this word here has a root word, physio, physical that you consume with the physical, what you can see and what everybody else sees and everything else. The last chapter, he says, the biggest problem with divisions is pride. I follow this person. I follow that person. And we see that today. 
yeah, I don't really like going to church when, when the pastor isn't there. You know, they have guest speakers, and sometimes they're okay, but, you know, I really can only hear from the pastor. I'm sorry. You're depending upon the wrong person. I will guarantee you, to quote one of my favorite bands, I will fail you. Time and time again, I will fail you. And you'll take it personal. And I didn't mean it personal, but you'll make me pay personal. It's not about me. It's not about any other pastor. I remember having a conversation with someone. And it was in line with this. And, and this person said, yeah, you know, I think that's right. You know, because some pastors, I, they, they, completely, they completely turn it around opposite. They said, you know, some, some pastors I really, can't, I really can't hear from. You know, and that kind of, you know, proves that they're not filled with the Spirit. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's your choice to listen and learn. God used a donkey to speak truth. Maybe he's speaking to you, donkey. It's very hard sometimes that we, we, pride hides. In fact, pride is a disease that only makes the people around us sick, except for the one who has it. The person who has pride feels great because they are the best person ever. And if you didn't know that, they'll let you know. And everybody else around them is just sick. Oh, I hate being around that person because they're so amazing. I mean, they think they're amazing. It's nauseating, but the person with pride thinks, what is everybody else's problem? I wish they could be like me. So Paul's dealing with that all throughout this book, and he brings up this phrase, puffed up, puffed up, puffed up. The first puffed up we talked about was this picking of a pastor, picking of a teacher. I'm better because I listened to this one. Well, we listened to Peter because he started the church and all this other foolishness. So chapter 5, verse 1, let's actually get into Scripture. I've got plenty of time to talk. Chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read all the way to verse 4. It is actually, now, now I'm, going to, I'm going to read, I know you guys aren't really used to this, I'm usually very calm and collected, but I'm going to read this with the disdain and, and, and the just disgust that Paul has in this. It, it is actually reported, and the phrase here is, I'm, 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 my mind is blown that I'm hearing this right now. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, among a member of the church there, and such sexual immorality is not even among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. He says, this, this stuff you're doing, like people in the world don't even do this, guys. And you're puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged. He says, I, I've, I've heard the facts here. I don't need to sit there in person and see it. I know that it's not right. I know that it shouldn't be. A Christian has this desire and these abilities and such, and then all of a sudden they have this practice in their life that's exposed. That's not okay, he says. He says, I don't even have to be there to know that that's not right. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to read this here. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, some of us have grown up either in the church or connected to the church, and we hear that phrase, and we do not read what that phrase says. Some of us may have been recipients of someone saying that's what they're doing. And we're going to hammer on this with a very large hammer here in just a minute. But I want to go back because something that Paul brings up in here is very important for the first point this morning. 
He, he exposes the fact that we play church when sin only bothers us. It only bothers us. Now, now think about that for a second. Many of us would say that we have a friend of ours that claims to be a Christian that is actively involved in a sinful lifestyle, and yet we have done or said nothing, but it still bothers us. We've all been there. And what Paul is saying is, guys, hello, it's a brother or sister. You're hitting yourself in the shin with a hammer, and you're thinking, that's ah, cool, I can, I can make it. No, it's not. It doesn't work that way. You can't have a body part that's getting crushed and hurt and go, ah, oh, it's okay, because as soon as you try and walk, as soon as you try and operate, it doesn't work. So he says, if it just bothers us, there's no point we're playing church, we're thinking, it bothers me, but, you know, that's between them and God. Cop out. That's a cop out. I don't, I don't want to deal with some of the confrontation is probably the more honest phrase to use. Here's the next thing for us to think. Wrong worship, and, and I use that phrase, wrong worship or sin should bother us. Should bother us. But here's the key, though. It should bother us to action. Not bother us of, you know, you know that person said this word I didn't like, or that person said this thing, or, or you know, they're hanging out with that one person. I, I just don't like that, so I'm just not going to be around them. Wait a second. How many of you have ever had someone come to you or found out that you had been ostracized, you had no idea why, until someone told you, and you're like, well, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I've counseled numerous people who had come to Christ, and they were so frustrated with all the Christians in their life who never told them the gospel. And I've talked with many Christians who walked away from the faith who never heard that the, that the little steps they were taking into sin could have kept them from the big steps of running back to Christ with all that baggage. Just tell me. It would be much better to hurt a little bit because a brother said something or a sister said something I didn't feel like hearing and deal with that on my own between me and God than to have everybody just get quiet without any kind of rebuke or any kind of care. In fact, true agape says, I don't have any conditions on my feelings, but I love you enough that I would hurt our friendship that you would come back to God someday. That's agape. But if we love ourselves, I don't want to deal with that conflict and I don't want to talk to that person. Sometimes the closest problems that we have are going to be family, blood relatives. And they're the ones who we have the most unique experience to share because we can be the most transparent because they know every single failure and they watch us being real or fake. But, but they're ones oftentimes that we avoid. They bother us. We talk to other Christians that say, pray, please pray for, for my mom or please pray for my, my little sister or, or my cousin or my aunt or whatever. But are we sharing the truth with them? Are we joining in to the things that we can join in in their life? Or is it bothering us to action. And the reason, this whole phrase here, we got a chance to meet with some new people yesterday and family met some new people and I just was overwhelmed. I hadn't met these people before, but I was overwhelmed with the fact that they've been going on about their life. I've been, you know, being a Christian here in the valley and this is someone that I hadn't talked to yet. I hadn't loved on yet. I hadn't shared the gospel with yet. And who else has she come in contact with that could have but didn't? Because we just simply allow sin to be a bother 
instead of a soul-damning problem? Are we really, really bothered personally? Are we bothered spiritually? And these are the things that roll around in my head as God's going through this section of Scripture. See, it's important that, that we realize that another way we play church is when we turn a blind eye to our brother or sister in sin. And I know I'm blending certain situations right now, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll separate it as we go through the teaching, but there's a lot of times where we will see someone that's just not in the right state spiritually, and we don't say something. We don't. Let me share with you from being on both sides Crashing and burning spiritually, the hardest thing that any of us ever has to do is to admit, I don't measure up to what I think I should be, so I'm not going to say a word if I'm struggling with sin. I'm not going to say a word, but if God has come up and said, listen, go ask Joe how he's doing, and then when he says, okay, call him a liar and say, how are you really doing? And then if they've got something in their life, pull them out. Be part of that. You know, confrontation is not something that's easy. Certain personalities avoid it literally like it would kill them. And then there's personalities like mine that just create it just by poking, just to see if we can find confrontation, because it's fun. I know you guys never would have guessed that about me. My poor wife, we are total opposites. When we first got married, I remember coming home, and I'm like, man, we haven't fought in forever. Which that means like two or three days. And... (laughs) And I, would, and I would find something just to, like, mess with her to, like, see, like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? No, I wouldn't say that, but I'd be irritating in some way. And then, if you, and boom, we're fighting. Like, oh, okay, this is, we're, it's working. You know, we're working out problems and struggles. By the way, that is not prescriptive. Okay, that's descriptive of how not to do it. That's why every anniversary we have, I'm just telling her, I'm like, I, I don't know if you're a sucker or, or something, but I'm so glad you're still with me. We celebrate 19 years this year. And that was all for her. Or me. Lucky. So here's the first. I want us to look at something. Before we move on in some of these verses, I want us to look at how to confront correctly. If you want to write in your notes, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Jesus spoke about confrontation, about sin in a brother's life. But I want to expound on it from as Paul began to teach on it, there were more practical things that were involved. See, Jesus was speaking to a group of people that already knew many of these principles from a Jewish cultural perspective. It was a pattern in their life, from a context perspective, it was a pattern in their life to do some of the opposite of what Jesus said. So he used it to be striking culturally to get across this concept of his new kingdom. And the first thing I want to talk about is what we don't confront about. Now, I'm very serious about this. Do not confront your brother or your sister over politics, over preferences, likes, dislikes, social differences. That is not anywhere near important. If the guy wants to shave their head on on one side and have it spiked up on the other, you know what I am? Jealous. Why in the world does that matter? The only thing that differentiates us in reality, literally differentiates us, is are we with Christ or not? Jesus said so clearly, so very clearly, and we'll read it. He said, listen, you can believe all these things and you can try and judge all these things, but truth really is found out by the evidences, by the fruit of it. 
And oftentimes, some of the most well-dressed, clean-cut people are the most evil, hurtful, angry people I have ever met. Now, often that comes from them getting the same treatment. So our response is huge in how they get healed, corrected, and brought back. But it's important for us to remember, these things don't matter. And I've said it before. There are going to be every single political flavor across the world standing in heaven with us. There are going to be people who never read the Bible standing in heaven with us. There are going to be people who preferred hard liquor over beer once a day, whatever it was, standing in heaven with us. There are things that we allow into our life that don't work for others. There are things that we allow into our life that can cause sin and so on. But if we're not getting things right with Christ first, all those other preferences and problems, they're symptoms. If someone came in and said, I'm bleeding, and you said, cool, put a Band-Aid on you, but it was from a shotgun slug, we're handling a a problem, a symptom on the outside. So if we're going to confront, let's not put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Let these things take care of themselves as they mature, as their life changes. And I will tell you, many of us as Christians, what made us want to change our morality and our ethics? Christ. Someone abusing me going, you shouldn't sin, made me want to do it more, not less. So we can't pick confronting over things that are on the outside, things that simply don't make sense. Here's the next and confrontation. The first thing we have to do is pray for boldness, discernment, grace, and gentleness. Yes, that's a big list, but I think those four are key to a healthy confrontation. Let me share with you, this is exactly what God has called me to do. And every time I've had to confront someone, whether in business, whether they were staff, whether they were peers, whether they were people in ministry, whatever it was, this is what I prayed for. And I will tell you, those confrontations were worse in my mind than they were in reality. Because most of the time I wasn't trusting in God. Why boldness? I think we kind of know it. I think we know it. We really need to have the guts to just gently say, not authoritarianly, but authoritatively, assertively, hey, when this happens, here's what it does. And sometimes we need to have discernment because maybe just asking a question is more important. Instead of, you know, you haven't been at church for a few weeks, sinner. I'm sorry. Two family members died. I've been seriously depressed. No one from the church called me. Thanks, jerk. Happened before. Well, we miss out on that. So we need to pray for discernment. The next thing we need to pray for is grace. Maybe they are 100% wrong and drowning and swimming in sin and say, come on in, the water's great. Can we have grace? No, I don't do that anymore. I want to go to church with you now. Said nobody ever. Pray for that grace to communicate that truth. And then the next thing is gentleness. Sometimes gentleness can come in the form of a hammer. Because it would be meekness. It's power, but it's under control, and it's specific. You would never build a house with hammer and nails just tapping on it. But you have targeted, purposed power, and when the nail is in, you're done. 
Sometimes we do need to be very firm with someone. When they get it, shut up. And I say that to myself because I can give a lecture. My poor wife has been through like multiple sermons. I could, okay, fine. You don't like this meal. That's great. I, I am a jerk. I'm just. Paul is talking to the Galatians. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should crush their soul. What should you do? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And then he says this, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Doesn't say, if they fall into sin, be careful you don't fall into it. Don't change what the Scripture says. I remember talking to a pastor. His sister-in-law was an alcoholic. His wife was out of town. He gets the call. Hey, so-and-so, absolutely wasted, started a fight. She's out back at the bar. Someone's got to pick her up. So guess what happened? Pastor, carrying a scantily clad, very attractive blonde, drunk all over him into his car at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday while the Christians are driving by. Started rumors in the community. Well, he should have been more careful, Joe. You know, he's got to keep that witness. Be quiet. At least he was out there, right? And I remember him having conversations with people that were leaders in the church where he was at. Well, couldn't you have someone drive the car around back? Couldn't couldn't you have this? There was so much fear over, well, you just got to be careful. You don't fall into the same temptation. No, 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 no. You need to be so deep into rescuing people out of that darkness that it could be a temptation. That's what Paul is saying here, that you would be helping them along the path. And it may take a little while, but be careful, but be in the world so that you can be part of that saving influence. That's not easy. That's not. And sometimes we will feel, you know what, I don't think I can do this, Joe. I think that would be far too much of a temptation. Good, then fund someone who does it. Pray for someone who does do it. There are ministries out there right now, groups of women who came out of the sex slave trade, who came out of pornography, who came out of stripping, who are now infiltrating these clubs and saving these women. Men, that's not your ministry you're called to. If you say it is, you're a perv. But you can pray for it. And you can support those women that are doing that. Because they're walking into these places with women who are weeping before the show, weeping after the show, scraping to get by, to pay their pimp, to pay off whatever it is. And they're getting love. And they're having Bible studies. And they're coming to Christ. And some of them may take weeks before they leave that stripper world or, that, or be or able to leave that pimp. Whatever it is. But God is moving and working. And so there are ways, yes, there are ways that would say, Joe, I feel like I'm led to, you know, be part of evangelizing lap dancers. Start with prayer, okay? Start with prayer. Next, number three, confrontation. It's very difficult to cut the line between these two, but it is a defined line. Seek restoration and not guilt or judgment. I've said it a couple times this week and last week. Guilt does nothing. Guilt just adds weight to the anchor that already is dragging us down. That's all it does. In fact, if you plant guilt, guess what you get? 
nothing. It does nothing. It's important to realize that truly seeking restoration says, I I want you to hear the hard things, and I'll pay any cost to make sure that happens so that we can be back together. But many times we'll confront and say, you're already dead to me in my mind, so I don't really care about the outcome, but you just need to know that I don't like you. And we do that. I'll be the first to raise my hand. We do that. But we'll say, I'm just seeking restoration. You know, no hard feelings. It's just, you know, just going to take a long time, like an entire lifetime, to build back trust together. We don't really want to be restored. And sometimes we need to be careful before we jump in and say, okay, I'm ready to confront. I'm going to list off all the ways that I don't like them, all the things that they've done that offended me, and uh, I'm going to ask for boldness so I can hit them as hard as possible. And I mean, I want them restored. I want them to stop sinning and do things I like. But that's not restoration. Let's let's shove you into my mold. If you be like me, you be good. And that's not right. It's not true either. The verse that I want us to remember here is the same one we just read. If another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Bring them back. Bring them back into relationship. And depending upon where they're at, it may take a long time. Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're talking about confronting brothers and sisters in Christ. If they're overcome with guilt, they have forgotten the forgiveness of Jesus. Why don't we be a reminder of that by first forgiving them? It's a challenge. It's not easy. We have to look at the hurt and say, you know what, the ways that I hurt Christ is more gross than the few ways that I've been hurt by people. We have to confront that first. I'll never get over that. The amount of hurt that I've had from other people pales in comparison to the entire world throughout all of time spitting in my Savior's face while he fixed their problem. That's like screaming at the mechanic and cussing at them while they're fixing your car going, you're an idiot, your wife is ugly and I can't stand you and and you're ugly and your feet stink and all these other things and I'm saying all the nice words and throwing stuff out there as if you have a right. They didn't do your car how you wanted it to be done, whatever it was. But yet they continued to fix it. I would have turned around and chucked a wrench at you, and when you were down, I probably would have taken a couple of other things and thrown them on you. And then when you were passed out, just dumped out all the used motor oil on your head. And that would have been on a good day. But that's not what our Savior did to us. Here's the next thing on confrontation. I want us to realize this. If there really is no change in that confrontation, they have chosen no fellowship. Here's something I want us to realize. Let the offender choose to separate. Let it be exposed. Simply just getting quiet and backing off, that is not what Scripture talks about. Not at all. It's if we confront and we have that confrontation, and they choose not to change, they have chosen that they don't worship the same God you do. They have walked away. And so they have cut off the fellowship. And so what we do is we simply recognize that and say, listen, until you've got this right in your life, I've got to ask you these things, or I'm not going to be able to be connected with you in this way. I'll meet with you once a week if you want to, and I'll pray for you, and I'll help you go through this different stuff. I'll do all of those things. But if you're going to continue to live this life, this direction, I can't be part of it because you're going that way and I'm going this way. 
but we still reach out every week and say, hey, you want to grab a coffee? Because they might talk. They might break. They might listen. They might be open to it. But we can't be connected and knit because they're serving something that I'm not. But here's the, also the other part. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians, basically, who had got really zealous in judging this man and said, guys, calm down. He's had enough abuse, okay? He gets it. He's repented. Let him back into the church now. If there is change, there is fellowship. They've admitted the wrong. They want to be repaired. But unfortunately, many of us have even seen it in churches where we grew up. Even if you did change, even if you did have a heart change, even in our own home sometimes, as soon as you showed up, they're like, yeah, we've seen this before. Shut the door. And sometimes that can be what seals the deal and says, you know what, I gave you another chance. I'm done. I'm done. Even some of us, that may be what sealed it for us. That we just, we came, and the only people we thought that could accept us and help us, we said, listen, I'm, I've changed. I'm not perfect now. I'm probably going to make more mistakes, but I just, I want your help. I just want you to do one little thing. No, you hurt me. Slam the door. Can't do that. Imagine, imagine if that was how Christ treated us. You hurt me. I'm not opening the door anymore. Um, the door would have been shut 2,000 years ago. He would have died on the cross and go, well, that was useless. They all hurt me, and I can't open the door to them. No. Why he takes any of it from us, I don't know. But that's not how he treats us. It's important to realize 1 Corinthians talks about And you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. The whole point, the whole purpose is that if there's no change, then give them over to what it is that they're worshiping. That's not easy. And if that is easy, I will almost guarantee, I'll be 99.9% sure of this, your heart is not right if that is an easy task. And I know that I've said before to people, flippantly, we'll hand him over to Satan. As if it's just a matter of, oh, okay, cool, next time he shows up, I'll hand him over and introduce him. As if it didn't require some sort of emotional or heart investment, which it does. Most of Paul's letters in Corinth, to Corinth, there's about four of them, we only have two in our Bible, were heartbroken. It's like, guys, you're, you're killing me here. You're killing me here, he says. But the next thing I want us to realize is that one of the things that the church in Corinth, or that the church in Corinth was doing, was withholding the system and the consequences that God has put together to cleanse us and get us back in relationship. See, sometimes in our life as Christians, we, we toy and we play with sin. And then as we hang out in the body of Christ, we have this, this almost kind of fringe blessings that hit us. Now, the problem with that is, is that we're dragging the body down with us as we continue to play with sin, as we continue. If we're a leg and we're not useful to the body, we've given our church body a limp. We're less useful in the kingdom. And we, we play with sin. And we cut off 
these consequences that God designed to make sin distasteful, to see the end of the sin in their life. And I want to be very, very clear. I've watched this far too many times in my own life. Uh, the, The worst offenders in this case are parents. Do not ever, ever withhold consequences in life. It's very easy, and I want us to realize something here, that when we keep consequences from those we love, we rob them from ever being free from a weak will and power of sin. We have some friends of ours over the years, many different friends and families we've seen, where there is a child in that home that is abusive, that has different problems, and they're in and out. It's like a revolving door. Well, if you're good, you can be here. If you're you're bad, you can't be here. So what does the kid do? They cover up all the things so the parents don't see it so they can have a place to live instead of the parents standing in their ground and saying, listen, here's what the stance is, hold to it, or you're out. But if you really, really need us and things are really bad in your life, we're going to break and let you in. That's not what God designed consequences for. For many years, there was a guy that I was mentoring. He drove me batty claim to be a Christian, then all these things would happen, and then act not like a Christian. Christ's example was unattainable or foolish to him. And one time I was praying. I had gone into the office early and was praying and just really was emotional over it all, watching his life. And God said something very, very clearly through a picture he brought in my mind, and he said, let go. And the picture he had was me holding on to this guy's shirt, while the guy was diving into a ditch full of glass and mud and and filth. And I said, God, I can't let go because he's going to fall down into there and get hurt. He says, let go. That is my pit. And so I let go. I let go of my mind. I let go of my spirit. And for months and years after that, his life fell apart. And guess what? He was forced to realize that he wasn't following God. He was forced to realize that all the consequences from his own life, all the consequences from his actions, he had to own, and God let him have those consequences. Why? Because God doesn't like him. No. Because God wanted to make it so clear that that life not following him hurts. It hurts. And we are thankful that bad things hurt, aren't we? I'm thankful that when I touch a stove and it's hot, I remove my hand before my flesh turns into a pool. Because pain causes us to respond. Some of us require more pain. But it causes us to respond. And us as parents, us as friends, whatever it is, if we are constantly going, oh, no, no, you don't want those consequences. Oh, no, you don't want those consequences. We have the worst generation of helicopter parents ever hovering around their kids. Oh, don't have this struggle. Let them fall down and slide down the driveway. They didn't listen to you. And get a video. I'm not saying shove them, okay? (laughs) You guys are getting a little excited. But sometimes there's a situation where the kid says, I don't want wisdom. I don't want wisdom. Okay. I've given you the wisdom. I've given you the truth. Take the step on your own. Guess what? They will never have a will to stand up on their own if we don't let them fall sometimes. So with this here, us as Christians, a lot of times we will try and pull someone out of consequences. 
How many of us have woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning every single night to rescue that drunk family member, and they haven't changed? I just want to preach Christ with them. They're passed out in the back of your pickup truck. Let them get taken in somewhere. But instead, we constantly are throwing pillows underneath them so they don't fall down and get hurt. And we're abandoning our family. We're not mentoring those that need us, really. We're self-righteous because we're doing a good thing. But those around us that are sober don't hear a word of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying don't answer the 3 o'clock phone call to help out someone. But there is a pattern of abuse that will happen because they know our will is weaker than theirs. And we'll just break. It's very important that God put a system together that sin equals suffering. When we remove the suffering, they don't see the sin. And this is what Paul is saying. Deliver them to Satan so he can really see the fruit of this sin in his life. But you're going to continue to invite him in acting like nothing has ever happened. You're going to continue to invite him in. By the way, you know who's not named in here? The woman. Doesn't say she needs to be cast out, and there's some interesting theories on it we'll go into. Just cast him out. He's not part of you guys the way he's acting. Cast him out. And it's important to realize that the intent is not, finally, couldn't stand that guy anyways. But I want him back. And I'll do anything, including putting myself away for it. Next, as we continue on, you'll see in verse 6, Paul goes into a very Jewish set of verses. And what he's doing here is not not necessarily talking about make sure you abide by all these Jewish feasts. What he's saying here is, listen, the Passover is accomplished, and what the Passover accomplished, what it had us focus on, was a lack of sin in our life. The fact that that was the future potential. Here's what he says, verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you realize that if you get just the slightest amount of yeast in dough, it's puffed up within hours? You can't just have a little bit of yeast and it'll be okay. And then he ties back to these difficult religious practices where they would have to go and clean their whole house to get rid of any yeast because if they're going to make in that Passover bread and it rises, it's defiled. It's not prepared for what needs to happen. And it was difficult. Now, some of us can't even get a sourdough starter to work, but the Jews in this case had such a hard time to get that bread to not have the yeast in it. It was an effort in their life to scrub their house, to clean everything off, to make that flatbread and make sure that it stayed flat and it didn't get puffed up. Yes, there is a picture there Paul's going for. So what does he say? Therefore, purge or clean out the old leaven that you may, have a, that you may be a new lump, a new lump of dough. Since you are truly unleavened, this is your nature in Christ. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He is poking them again because the words sincerity and truth are the opposite of what he accused of them just a few verses before, of fake and prideful. Sincerity and truth, what you see is what you get. And he says, listen, you guys claim to have Jesus, but if someone shows up there, they know that this guy is sleeping with a stepmom. 
In fact, many, many scholars say because of the egregious nature of this, it's possible that stepmom was a, a, a sex slave because she was thrown out in this case. And so, hey, dad's gone. Dad dumped her off. Kind of good looking. I'm going to keep her. He says, socially, it isn't even accepted in that world. But you guys know this guy's doing it, and you haven't said a word at all? You haven't done anything? So he's getting on these guys, and, and he's talking to them and saying, what, what they see is not what they're getting. They see what should be the body of Christ, and what they get is this, this dirty, sinful, mixed-up thing. I'm not talking about dirty people because we all have dirt in our life. We all have, we're all a work in progress. We're going to fail. That's why he says sincerity and truth that we're apologetic, that we, we open up and, and, and we have a blamelessness about our life. But I want us to realize something. When Paul says, get rid of the leaven, start over with something fresh. Leaven equals yeast equals sin. We can make that connection in those, in those verses from the understanding of the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, those things are brought up. But we play church when we think sin is a toy that just, just a little bit, just a little bit, but the problem is, it's just a little actually hurts everyone. There's no such thing as a secret or private sin in its effects. It, the name of what that sin is, sure, may not be known by anybody in this room. But the effects are. They very much are. It's important to realize that the things that we think we're hiding, they are affecting the people that we care most about. And I'm not saying that because I want people to just start, jump up and screaming all their private sins. I want each of us to deal with the areas where we say, you know what, it's at home, it's, a, it's at night, it's in, in whatever. It's not hurting anyone. But it is. It absolutely is. We're dragging down. Remember, we're all attached. Um, Paul David Tripp talks about the Christian life, and he's, he's talking to pastors, but he talks about the whole Christian body in general. He says that, that the walk with Christ was not meant to be done alone. It's a community outreach project. We're all knit together and connected. And some of the sins that we call secret or private sins are sins that say, you know what, I know that there's a need, and I have an ability, but you know what, I just don't have the time. Or, you know what, this doesn't really matter, I'll be good in the morning, and so I'm not going to worry about dealing with this now, and then, you know, we'll go to church, and everything's always good at church. And we come, and we're spiritually useless for God. Our brothers and sisters are dragged down because what? We're a liability, not an asset to the body. We're a constantly stubbed toe, never able to heal. And so the body limps. It's important to see that. I want us to realize something, and we can say this to ourselves. We don't have to say it out loud, but we can say this. My personal sin affects my public relationships. Whether it's guilt that I'm holding on to, frustration that I'm holding on to, other types of sins, whatever it is, they affect those public relationships. And Paul is saying here, verses 6 through 8, listen, get the junk out. I want you to be the most effective you can be for Jesus. I want you to be connected completely without any hindrances. Same, same book, 1 Corinthians, later on in chapter 12, he says this, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. 
If some of us are suffering because we've walked down a path in sin, guess what? The rest of us are. Well, that doesn't make sense, Joe. Okay, I'm just going to take a hammer to your pinky toe. Set your foot out, and I will hit that thing and crush it. Tell me that the rest of your body doesn't realize something happened. That's where we invent whole new strings of curse words. Is that pinky toe on a table at 2 o'clock in the morning. Or a Lego. It's just a little Lego. It's just a tiny little thing you just stepped on, Joe. It shouldn't affect your whole body. None of us ever said that. There's entire memes about Legos at night. Because we know that even that tiny little thing affects everything in us. And it's the same thing for us as Christians. Some of us are the Lego. Some of us are the foot. Whatever it is, I want to challenge each of us. Don't let, don't let the sins that are just hanging out in your life, number one, have victory because they don't have to. And number two, don't let them drag down the body around you. I know each of you cares deeply for the others around you. I've seen it. I see it before church. I see it after church. I see it during the week. I know you guys care about each other. And realize that the things that we think are private, the things that we think don't necessarily really matter much, they do. They do. They drag down the body. And the sad thing, as we continue, many churches will preach, and I've heard it in my past, we may even hear it in other areas, they stop on verse 8. We play church when we stop on verse 8 here, because we will grab onto this and go, yeah, there are some people in that church I don't like. That guy that's got long hair, the guy that's got short hair, that guy that's got this type of beard, that guy that's got this type of pants or whatever, this, this lady that does this, this person that does this, whatever it is. We will stop on verse 8 and say, that's right. i got a whole list of 11, Pastor. I will meet with you afterwards on who we need to kick out and give them to Satan. In fact, I've got an extra thick Bible to hit him in the face with, Joe. But here's the thing. There's verse 9. It's very likely that the reason that the lady wasn't mentioned is also because she wasn't a Christian. And so what does Paul say? Verse 9, he says this, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. You're not separating yourself because you don't do the bad things. You're separating yourself because of Jesus. That's it. Here's what he continues with. Or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world, which is the opposite of the Great Commission. If you aren't supposed to hang out with people that do bad things, then how can we accomplish the Great Commission? We can't. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, guys, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to be creating some sort of sterile club where none of you have touched anything dirty. You're not supposed to be creating some holy huddle that unless you're holy enough and you've proved yourself, you can be part of the club. He says, no. Christ differentiates you, and then you get back out there. You get back out there. But it is so easy to get comfortable as a Christian and say, but I, but I really like the Christians. I don't have to change how I talk. I can talk weird and speak Christianese, and they understand me. That's definitely a reason to get out of that circle, people. If everybody you talk to understands what you say when you go, blessed, 
then you're probably in the wrong circle of people. And I'm not saying being blessed is bad. And I'm not saying telling someone what, that you're blessed is bad. What I'm saying is that when you walk into work, no one knows Jesus. And they say, how you doing? And you go, blessed. They go, you're weird. You could say, you know what? Life is terrible sometimes, but I don't get it. And all the horrible things that I've ever done, God has still done things to bless my life. Well, that's a long time to say it. You're right. Their soul's not worth it. It is. And sometimes in Christian circles, it's easier to just go, how are you feeling? I'm blessed and highly favored, which I used to change and say blessed and highly flavored. Which people who weren't listening were like, oh, that's cool. Praise God, Joe. You weren't even listening to what I said. I'm going to take that personal, by the way. I'm going to mark it down, date and time and everything. And then kick you out of church and give you to Satan. (laughs) Like one person was just listening. That was great. (laughs) Let's keep reading here. Realize this. Since then, you would need to go out of the world, Paul says. He just follows the logical end of a religious stance that people had. So verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator, covetous, idolater, reviler, drunkard, or extortioner. Don't even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Someone's listening to an awesome song right now. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, listen to this. Listen to the logic path that Paul takes us down here. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. If you want it to be between them and God, you have to get rid of them. That's what Paul says. Otherwise, within the body, God has given authority within the body of Christ because we have his authority to say, hey, listen, brother, your fruit stinks. Let's fix it. But if they're not going to listen, then we put them between, or sorry, we get ourselves out from being in between them and God, and we say, listen, boom, you and God got to work this out. You might hate me for whatever I've just said. You might not like the fact of what I just did. But you know what? You're angry at God, and you've got to deal with that. You're sinning against him. You've got to deal with that. And that's why Paul goes down this. He says, listen, if it's only God and the person in that point, and there's no blessing of this authority structure that he's created in the church itself, then get him outside there. And it's important for us to realize that, that we reverse this scripture. We ignore the sin and the foolishness of the people in our own body, and we judge the living snot out of the world. Those people stink. They're dirty. I don't do that. I don't, I, I don't do any of that different stuff. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do all these different things. If someone asks me to go to a bar, I don't do it because I'm a Christian. No, you're irrelevant. And I know that's hard for some of us to hear. Oh, Joe, I don't think it's okay to go to a bar. Then pray about that. Because where is the world at? And where are they at their bottom? And where are they looking for some kind of hope and purpose? They're not coming to church. He said, go into the world, not invite them to come to church. Go into the world. Like, 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 the, like the whole world? I don't see any clarifying words except for the world. I can only go on what Scripture says. Where have we created our holy huddle? 
And Paul makes it so clear that the Corinthians were so focused on playing church that he reminds them that we play church when we abandon the world because they sin. That's like getting mad at water because it's wet. Oh, this rain is so wet today. Curse it. It doesn't really have a choice. It's wet because it's water. The world sins because it's the world. It knows nothing else. It has no new nature. It has no choice. It can try and be good all it wants. It can't. Nothing is ever good enough. So we, we play church and we abandon them. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to most people that don't offend you. Preach the good news to how many? Everyone. Everyone. Well, well I mean, what if I don't really feel like the person's going to listen to me? Then tell yourself to shut up and go talk to them. And I know that because there are people that I have selectively evangelized to because I'm like, man, I just don't feel like that person's going to listen to me. And that is the exact person God wanted me to go talk to. How'd you know that, Joe? Because I got out of my truck and said, yes, God, you're right, and went and talked with them. I did it wrong plenty of times. And sometimes the people that seem the most nice, that will listen to everything we say, are some of the hardest hearts because they like good things, and that's nice for you, cute Christian. But the angry, militant person who says, I hate you and I hate God and everything else, when you respond back with, well, I hate you too, by not talking to them, we've just helped their case, not hurt it. What did we just read? When, we're, when, when I'm blessed or reviled, what do I do? I punch them back. No, he says, I bless them back. We don't sit there when the world gets us down. Stay down. We live in victory in Christ. John chapter 17. I'm not asking you to take them. This is Jesus' prayer for us in the church and the disciples. Not praying that you, uh, asking you to take them out of the world or that you, ugh, we're going to try reading this in English. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. Realize that. Just the other night, I really felt like there was something really coming against me in the spiritual realm. And I remember Psalm 91. And what does Psalm 91 say? It says that we are untouchable if we're under the shadow of the Most High. I was uh, mentoring a guy early this week, and I said to him, I said, listen, I, I, you always have to remember as a Christian, when you have things coming and getting you down, and you've got an evil past, you've got to realize there is joy in this, there is excitement in this, that MC Hammer had it right. You can't touch this. We really need to realize that. Well, well, Joe, what if I go into the world and there's sin there? You have victory over sin. Well, I don't know if I can say no to it. Then bring someone with you. But if God is calling you and telling you, then go. Follow through with what he has said. He says this. This is what's so beautiful. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. If you send your child out into the world to live, they don't stop being your kid. No, they're always going to be their kid. You can come home. They're still going to be your kid. So he's saying this. I'm letting them go. Let them do what they're going to do because they're mine. My name's on them. I protect them. Set them apart in the fact that they don't do bad things. What does it say? Set them apart in the truth. 
Don't set them apart because they're more moral. That isn't what sets us apart. Jesus is a differentiator. There's truth. Your word is truth. That word there is logos. Your message, your gospel is the truth. So what is to set us apart? The fact that I didn't do the bad thing with them? The fact that I said, does it speak the gospel when I reject the invite from, a, from someone every single time they ask me to go do something? No. It shares the gospel when I'm sitting there with them. And we can actually talk. Can't build a relationship if the answer to every time they want to hang out is no. We're not to hide from the world or hide from sin. I have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in my life by stating this in the picture of 1 Corinthians who have convictions about holidays, who have convictions about certain restaurants and certain places. And I don't want to be insensitive to struggles and pass at a dear friend of mine that was deep in the occult. And Halloween was the most terrifying time of the life because they watched the spiritual realm on the evil side, very active. But they had to answer the door for those people and share the gospel with them. So I don't want to be insensitive to it all, but we can't be caught hiding from the world of sin. It's the opposite of what the call of God had put on our life was. Go into most of the world, some of the world, the world we feel like, the world we like, the world that's owned by Christians. No. I had a great conversation with someone. We were talking about businesses and people we like to support and all this different stuff. And, and they said, hey, how come, Joe, how come your church doesn't have a register for, for you know, trades and so on that are in your church so people can go and support Christians? I said, because I don't believe in it. I said, if there's a Christian brother that needs work and, and I happen to have the opportunity to send it their way and they're a good worker, I'll send it that way. Otherwise, I'd love to support a non-believer. Why? Because who else is going to bring the gospel if the Christians are all running? Well, I only go to Christian businesses, Joe. So who is going to hear the truth in the atheist businesses? Nobody. Now, I'm not saying abandon that Christian brother that has a great business and is working for God because they're sharing the gospel too, and that's awesome. I don't think he's here anymore, but even if he is, he's going to have to deal with it. We have a new IT guy here. It's helping us out. Walked away from the faith. I love having him here as our IT guy. Two hours talking yesterday, or two days ago. Sucker. We're paying him to hear the gospel. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? It's the, it's the opposite of what the world says. The world thinks that the church just wants the money. I'd love to be the Christian going out, you know, here's $5 for my drink and here's a $20 tip. We're praying about an opportunity here in the community to do uh, coffee with the pastor where we cover the tab the whole night at a coffee shop every month. And everybody that comes in just says, anything you want, free. And we'll just pay for it. And some of us will just sit there, sip on coffee, talk with people. We won't even tell them who the pastor is, because I don't really talk or act like one anyways. We'll just kind of hang out there. See who's there. See who needs prayer. See what's going on. If you guys would be interested in that, let me know. We're praying about how we would do that and what would happen. Here's the irony of it all. That we're the only ones qualified to go into the world and be clean when we're done. We're the only ones qualified. We're the only ones with someone who says, when I've washed your body, you're clean. That's it. We're the only ones. 
No one else can go into the world and hang out in the sin of the world and walk away untouched, except for us. Immortal till their work is done is the name of an album. I, I love listening to that song. We've got protection on us. I'm not saying that we've got protection so we can go and sin and there's no consequences. Paul deals with that in Romans. Should we continue in sin so that grace may just cover us because God's grace is so good? He goes, no. That's not what the point is. Next, I want us to look at how we can, because it's important to realize that, yes, we are called into the world, and there is a genuine concern that many of us have, is I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to connect with the world or connect with people that a lot of what they may do in their life is offensive to me. My challenge would be, stop being offended. Sin is gross. That's called a duh statement. It's gross. That's why we don't do it. But they're not going to stop because that's all they know. So how do we go into a world and stay sinless? Well, here's the first thing I want us to look at. Number one, that we need to remember that we are told to be the injection to the sick world. There's no other injection out there. Paul says there's no other gospel. There's no other truth. There's nothing else given to man under the sun ever on this earth except for Jesus that can fix the problem. And we're told to be that injection of truth. And in a place that's constantly pushing out lies, are we the one source of truth? It's important to realize. You'll see here, Philippians, Paul's talking, and I'll be teaching on this a couple months, this concept. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. How many of you have ever heard this verse before? Parents, you probably said it to your kids, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Parents, if you said it to your kids, it was out of context. You know why? Next verse. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked, crooked and perverse society. You know who some of the grossest, complainingest workers I've ever been with are Christians? Not all. I work with one here. He's great. We're the loudest. Oh, I can't believe this. I'm not paid enough. I don't do this. I can't believe they asked me to do this. I just got done talking to someone a couple weeks ago. I said, honestly, I don't care if I'm mopping the floors or doing big contract letters or whatever. I honestly have had to, to get to a point where I just want to be where God wants me. And I will tell you that it has taken 30 years to have that kind of mindset. But it's important. Scraping gum, whatever they tell me to do, I'll just do it. The, the way that we are without spot and blemish isn't that I don't go and talk to those people at the water cooler because all they talk about is the sin from the past weekend. How are they going to hear the lack of sin? How are they going to hear the truth? Go to the water cooler. What did you do this weekend? Yeah, it sounds kind of weird. I didn't really get a chance to be out there like you guys were doing. I uh, hung out with my wife. We went and did this thing here, went to this thing here, and then uh, had an awesome church service or whatever and taught on this. Really? Seed. 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 Who else is going to hang out at the water cooler? Why won't we? Take over the water cooler for Jesus is what I say. Here's what he says next. In which, remember the context is, is this, this blameless life, in which we shine as lights in the world. The darkness will never light up unless the lights are in it. 
And in fact, those in darkness cannot see that they're in darkness without a glimmer of light. If you're in a dark room and you keep running into a wall and stubbing your toe, will you ever see what it is? No. But if someone shows up with a light, someone goes, that's what I've been stubbing my toe on? I want to change the path that I'm walking in this room. Make the picture. No one's going to see the problems in darkness without a light shining. So what are Christians? Lights in the darkness of this world. It's important to realize. Number two, Christ gave us a great example. Follow Christ's example in the world. Follow Christ's example. What was Christ's example? Here's the best one. I love it. Later, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came, and they ate with Jesus and his disciples. Yes, that's it. And you know what the religious punks responded with in the next verse? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because y'all are boring. And I love it. Invite someone to church, and when they say no, go, okay, cool, you want to come to dinner? Why not? Are they only good to us if they want to go to church or talk about Jesus? Or do they matter no matter what? Just, I want a relationship with you. Go to Little Miller's, which is open, by the way. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming back. My daughter asked me like 18 times yesterday, can we go to Little Miller's now? Can we go to Little Miller's now? Like, we're not going today, honey. Oh. And since I'm a total jerk, we didn't go. It doesn't faze me. (laughs) Jesus looked at it very differently with the world. It's not that the religious people weren't going to be there. It's that the religious people had abandoned these people years before. You're not like us and you're different, so you can go off on your own little world. No one really knows. No, actually, no one really cares about the things we know until they really personally, consistently know we care about them as a person. It matters a lot. It matters a lot. There are some people here at this church right now or those that they are actually out this weekend that have consistently been loved by some of you for years, and then they decided to say, you know what, I'm going to go check that out. But it wasn't immediate. And why did it matter? Because they mattered to us no matter what, not because they went to our church. That's what was important. Here's the next one. And I want to warn. Be prepared for abuse, but not from the world. I was talking with a pastor who's a mentor of mine. And he, he said, so how are things going? What are the hard things that you're dealing with? And I said, honestly... The most difficult things I've ever had and the deepest hurts I've ever had being a pastor have only come from Christians. Is it really? I said, yeah. They're the only ones. I have more of a relationship with people that are part of cults here, people that are part of weird religions, people that are atheistic, people that are, are just completely narcissistic. It doesn't even matter. Whatever they, they just want to serve themselves, whatever it is. I have better relationships with those people. I am treated better. I will wake up in the middle of the night and I will get help from the unsaved. Now, most of you guys don't fit that category, by the way. You guys have been a huge help. But other people that have visited and claimed to be Christians, I had this one person send me a book and told me all the things they knew about me. And they only met me for, well, at least in this case, an hour in a sermon. 
Of course, in this case, it would be about an hour and 15 minutes today. <laughs> but there's so much abuse. So much abuse. I was talking with someone yesterday, and uh, they had been raised in, in uh, the South, and, and I said, you probably don't look at church very favorably. It's probably something that you look at with more abuse than anything. And the immediate response was, yeah. I equate church with abuse. That's horrible. It's horrible. They need to matter to us no matter where they go and what they do. Because every soul matters. Not the organization. Not the organization at all. I'll tell you, every single week, it's a temptation to me to dissolve the organization and just... Go to each one of you and go, here, here's all of my study notes and here's everything. Just go tell people about Jesus. That's all we should be doing. So I decided to do it every Sunday instead of closing down the church. It was, it was a joke. <laughs> it's okay. It's our job. It's our call. Why do I say be prepared for abuse? Jesus himself very clearly outlined the abuse. He says, John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, so you say he's possessed by a demon. He's a weirdo is what they said. Next thing you say, Jesus, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you go, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But he says, you know what? You want to know something that's wise? Look at the results. John, people's lives were changing for eternity. Jesus, (laughs) literally changed for eternity. Pharisees, you're also a bunch of dorks. You're still useless, a dying breed. The only thing you can protect is a religious system. The people that Jesus was the most ruthless with were not the sinners, were not the ones who, who were stuck in prostitution, were stuck in, in just horrific, gross marriages, were stuck in these, these things they may not even be able to, to change in their life, like leprosy and other things. But it was the religious people, the ones who said, I got a list of who were delivering to Satan today, pastor. And then Jesus will bust out the whip. There's no use for religious people. It serves themselves. And then as we're in the world, as we struggle with the things that are going on in the world, the fourth point for this morning as we close, how do we stay sinless while we're in the world living is to trust the work of God to cleanse us, not our morality. Because we can be very moral people in a very sinful world and still be useless. It's the work of God that cleanses us and changes us. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet forever. Jesus replied to him, unless I wash you, you do not have a share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Wash everything. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed only needs to wash his feet. In fact, some translations don't even have wash his feet in there. The one who has bathed doesn't have need to wash. You're clean. He's completely clean. And you are clean, he says to Peter. Why? Clean because of what Christ did. Not because we all of a sudden need to do more moral things because we feel like we're dirty. But that we allow the work of Christ to cleanse us, to change us. So I want us to realize, you can put your notes and your Bibles away. I have no idea where the time went. 
and I only partially apologize. But I want to pray two things in closing this morning. It doesn't have to take a long time. The first thing I want to pray is this, is, is this verse is an invitation also that maybe you're not clean. Maybe it's morality. Maybe it's, it's something that you've tried to inject into your life to make you more of a Christian instead of more like Christ. So as everyone bows their head this morning, here's what I want to ask in closing. If you'd like to pray this morning to be cleansed, Maybe it's coming back to God. Maybe it's coming to God for the first time, whatever it is. And it's, and it's morality. It's a good thing or whatever. But it's not a God thing that's changing you. I'd love to pray with you this morning. So go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Let's close this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you've done. And for those that raise your hand or, or did not raise your hand, you can just pray this quietly. Say, God, please clean me. I've tried to be good enough. I've tried to be moral enough. And I haven't asked the one who cleans. Please forgive me. Help me to walk and follow you. Not to try and make myself good enough, not to try and separate myself from the world on my own actions, but to allow Jesus to create that separation. Use me, God. Amen. God, I lift up the rest of this week for all of us, and I, I pray that all of our hearts would be soft to the word go. I pray that we would obey you, God. I pray that we would listen to you, God. I pray that the times when you say go, that we would just say yes. And that you provide us a brother or sister to go with us, wherever it is, whatever it is that you've asked us to do, God. Help us to be used by you. We are the ones who have the truth and the hope. Tell us where to go, please. Use us this week, God. Amen.